0: Good to see you all this morning on this freezing morning. I'm surprised so many of you actually came out. I'm glad you're here. So I'm slowly working my way through 1 Corinthians. I'm up to chapter 4 and uh, I uh, will get through chapter 4 today. So, you know, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul there is talking about the relationship between ministers and uh, the uh, the people of the church. You know, a church is not a building. A church is the people. A church is the body. Uh, a lot of times, and I, and I do it myself, I refer to this place as the church, but really the church is the body. It's not this building. This is just a meeting place. This is no different than uh, if we were meeting in a potato cellar or something, you know, it's a little more comfortable than a potato cellar. But, um, but it's the, the place. There's nothing special about this place. So Paul is talking there about that relationship. His role as an apostle and the relationship to him as Christians. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing of myself. Yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring the light, bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Lord God Almighty, thank You, Lord, for Your Word that lives on. Your Word gives life. We ask, Lord, that You would open Your Word to us today and that You would feed our hearts and our spirits with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul, in that first section of uh, chapter 4, he's talking about how they are to think about the apostles. Paul used two different words there to describe the apostles, and they show the contrast of the relationship that the apostles had with God and the relationship that the apostles had with the church. So the first word there uh, translated servants. Uh, that word actually, if you look at the original word, came from uh, a, it was used in reference to a particular Roman slave on those great big ships where they had Slaves who were rowing the ship. Um, These particular slaves were the slaves on the lower deck. So it's like the lowest of the low slaves. That's the word that is translated servants. That doesn't come through in English, does it? Um, Those were called the under rowers. And they worked however the master directed them to. Uh, but they were the lowest of the low slaves, so Paul is saying that he and the other apostles were like that. they were like the lowest of the low slaves, and they were servants of of who they were servants of god they were god 's servants they did only as God directed them to do. They were his servants. Uh, Jesus said the same thing one time he said that he did only those things that he saw the Father doing, and he said only those things. That he saw, or that he heard, the Father saying, "You know, we should all have, we should all desire a relationship like that with God, shouldn't we? That we would only say things that we hear the Father saying, we would do things that uh, we see the Father doing. That is, uh, that would be a a very high aspiration that we should have." Uh, The second word that Paul used was translated "steward." steward, you might be a little more familiar with. This contrast to the under rower, the lowest of the low slaves. The steward, the steward was a slave who had authority. He was in charge of things. The steward was in charge of the household usually. Steward might have been in charge of the, uh, the master's business. The steward was allowed control of his money. He was in charge of paying bills and collecting. The steward was a trusted person. You know, when we think of slave, we don't really think of, uh, you know, uh, CFO, chief financial officer. But that's kind of what he was. He had a tremendous amount of responsibility and he had a tremendous amount of trust. So two different servants, two um, two different people who were serving, who were doing as they were told... Uh, The steward made decisions on behalf of the master and always always having in mind the master's benefit. How would the master benefit from his decisions? So Paul was saying that he and the other apostles, they'd been given authority by God to preach the gospel, and they'd been given a tremendous responsibility, and they'd been given the leadership of the church. So in this case, the apostles were responsible for watching out for... God the Father's interest and the well-being of His people. That is, when you think about it, that, you know, it, uh, we look at people in that position and we kind of tend to think that, um, that they don't have maybe all that much responsibility. But in God's eyes, that's the most important thing, isn't it? Because people, your spirits, are what will transcend this world. It's the only thing that will transcend this world. Everything else will pass by. Everything else is going to to, to be uh, dissolved into nothing at some point in time. Everything breaks down, doesn't it? Buildings break down. Possessions break down. Um, our spirit lives on. So Paul is saying that he had been given a tremendous responsibility for watching out for God's interest. And this meant that The apostles would serve as the encouragers. They would serve as the teachers. They would be an admonisher. uh, And so on and so forth, as needed by the people. They were there to serve God, but to care for and serve the people to meet the needs of the people. So Paul fulfilled all of those roles. As you read his letters, he fulfilled all those roles. Um, And in those roles... Paul was never accountable to a man or a group of men. He was accountable to God. He answered to God. He never answered to men. Um, he rejected that. That's not It's not so different from today. Uh, leaders, leaders of churches, and I, again, I mean groups of people, not buildings, but leaders of churches, they're responsible to God. And they will answer to God. They will answer to God for... What they have said they 'll answer to God for decisions that they made, they will answer to God for how they conduct their lives. a lot of times churches groups of people they 'll have they 'll have smaller groups of people you know who they 're tasked with holding the pastor accountable there 's nothing wrong with that you know um, I hope that that if I say something that you feel like is is wrong, or maybe, maybe I said it wrong, or maybe somebody misunderstood what I said, I would hope that you would come and ask me about it. I would hope that you would want to hold me accountable for that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we just understand that my responsibility is to God, not to people. And that changes how we relate to each other. You know, there are some times when, um, as we do here, we go through the Bible verse by verse, And we don't skip verses. Uh, Sometimes we'll take a little chunk of uh, Scripture and we'll cover the whole thing. But you know, there's things in the Bible that that are uncomfortable to talk about, especially these days. These days, people want to be able to live any kind of a lifestyle that they want to, and they want to feel like they're justified before God. And the Scripture simply does not do that. And so when we get to those points of Scripture, and we need to talk about those, they're uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the speaker too, I assure you that. But we're accountable to God. And if we don't preach the whole word, all of the word, we will be accountable for that. And I don't want to be standing before God and have him say, why didn't you tell the people? Because that's my job. That is my job, is to preach the whole word. So Paul is saying that, that he's not accountable to this little church. Um, but he's trusted with caring for and teaching God's people. You know, sometimes people put themselves between God and, and God's servants, um, with the idea that, that somehow or other, that they're responsible for directing the minister like as if he was an employee of the church. That's not the relationship. That is not the relationship there, um, as ministers, we are employees, yes. yes. We're employees of God. God tells us what to do. God gives us direction. And uh, and that is the relationship. Um, not Not being directed by the body, not being directed by the group. So, because the minister is accountable to God and will someday stand before God... In judgment, and answer, how they fulfilled their role as serving as steward, and you know nobody will stand beside the minister along, you know, with them before God. None of you will stand beside me when I face God. Will you? You won't be there. Somebody will be there. It will be Jesus. And actually, uh, actually, I won't even stand uh, before God in that kind of a judgment because Jesus has covered me with his blood. He's covered, he's covered my errors. And even as a minister, I do make errors, don't I? I do. You know that you, you've seen that up here, right? You've seen when I've misspoke or, or, or maybe, you know, something. And, uh, but I'm, I'm covered by God's, by the, uh, Jesus's blood, just as you are. I'm covered by that. But nonetheless, I am held accountable by God for doing the job that I've been given. Um, so, you know, in this church here, uh, what was going on there was that they didn't want Paul to lead. They they didn't think they needed it. They forgot that God put him there as their leadership. And even though he was not there at the moment, he still served as their spiritual father. And uh, Scripture tells us that if the people, you know, if the minister or or the apostle in this case, Paul... Brings the message to the people and he speaks it faithfully and he executes his job faithfully and then the people refuse to hear it. That's on them, right? What does the Bible say? If you go, if you go to a place and they reject you, you shake the dust off of your feet and you move on to the next place. So Paul is reminding them of this here. He's reminding them that that it's on them to listen. It's on them to hear uh, what is said. And if the minister shirks his duty in the service of God, then that is on him as well. So, you know, if you're if you're listening to a pastor who's not wanting to preach against some things that the Bible talks against, that should be a warning to you. That should be a warning to you that they're they're not they're not executing their job as they should be, because uh, they don't want to offend people. You know, sometimes the gospel offends people. It did then and it does now. You know, back then in that time, uh, the apostles, they were, they were stoned. They were beaten. Uh, they were mistreated in every possible way. Why? Because the gospel offended people. And it offends people today sometimes. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that we, we can't, we don't have to speak it. Paul gives a criteria there for evaluating God's servants, uh, and the stewards. In verse 2, and that is to be found faithful. That's to be found faithful. Doing the job that we've been given to do, speaking the word, holding people accountable, being responsible in our own behavior, being responsible in our own spiritual life, so that we can stand up before people and um, and, and we can be worthy of the position that we have. God needs to be able to trust ministers with His most valuable possession, God, God sends His most valuable possession. That's the gospel. That's the that's the message. The message about Jesus. That's His most valuable thing. Um, and He sends it out. And uh, He's He's expecting people to listen. He's expecting ministers to uh, to take it and be trustworthy and to protect His interest here on earth. Paul made it clear to the Corinthians that they were not to judge the apostles. They were not in the position of judging the ministers because the ministers were being faithful in delivering God's Word. And there's no doubt that Paul rejected the Corinthians' judgment of himself because they were being very critical of him. Um, And of course, you know, those of us who are in the position that we are when we stand up here and uh, we speak, we open ourselves up to criticism, don't we? You know, there's people who will listen to my every word and they will be critical of something that I've said. That's that just goes with that goes with the territory, right? I just expect that. You know, once in a while, once in a while I'll actually get a phone call or a letter, and somebody will say thank you for saying what you said. But uh, criticism kind of just goes with the territory. We understand that. But um, but Paul is saying it's not your job to be critical of me, of what I'm doing. Paul was not so. Thick-skinned that he didn't hear the criticism, but he put everything in perspective. He put it in perspective. He says, "I've been sent by God to do a job, and I will do it, and I will do it to the best of my ability, and I will bring the message, and I'm not going to let anything stop me." That was his perspective. So, um, we're <clears throat> we're convinced that um, if 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 us as a minister are convinced that we're correct in our stand on something. It's a scriptural stand. We need to stand fast. Stand fast in the face of that criticism. We have to remember who we serve. We serve God. We answer to God. And uh, we also read here that Paul even rejected his own judgment of himself and his own ministry. Paul was a strong personality, wasn't he? You know, if Paul were, if Paul were here today and uh, we all were sitting here listening to him we would probably have uh, one of two responses. Either we would really like Paul or we would really not like Paul because um, he has a strong personality. Um, Paul was uh, Paul was, was one amazing guy. But when he spoke, when he spoke the message, um, he was speaking from God and people knew that. And, and that's why some people despised him. That's why some people had the strong feeling that they had towards him. Paul never pretended to be perfect, did he throughout throughout the letters, he always points out his failures. He points out his shortcomings as a as a person, as a christian he He never pretends that he's got it. He never pretends that he doesn't need uh, to grow or that he doesn't need to correct himself. Um, He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal. He's saying I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not there yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. He says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Did you hear what he said? I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. He's saying, I don't have it yet. I'm admonishing you, Corinthians. I'm admonishing you, but I'm not saying that I've got it yet. I'm not saying I'm there yet. We're all on a journey, right? We're all growing. We're all um, uh, becoming what we should be. But he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Forget what's behind and work towards what's ahead. You know, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. That's that's the message. Forget the past. You know, it's, it's really easy to live in the past. It's really easy up here in our mind that, that we're not in the present. We're thinking about things that we've done, things that we've said. And, and I do this all the time myself. I'm, I'm, I'm just admitting it. You know, I'll think about something and I'll be like, why did I say it like that? why did I even say it at all, you know? So we can, we can just totally beat ourselves up for what we have not been. But Paul is saying, forget what's behind, work towards what, what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, after he has done some self-examination, and you know, um, on that note, when you read scripture, don't just read it superficially. Read it and say, what does this mean to me? What does it mean for my life right now? What is God saying to me through these words? Um, Because Paul did that. So he says, suppose I judge my work and find it completely satisfactory. So Paul is saying, what if I look at what I've done? What if I look at my ministry and I say, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I've done what I should have done. And his answer, his answer to himself, he says, is that good enough? His answer is no. That's not good enough. Even if I think it's good enough, it's not good enough. Why is that? It's because we answer to God. We answer to God, don't we? And the standard is the standard is not reachable. Let's just admit it. We can't be good enough. We cannot work on the level where we would like to work. We we can't reach it. But having other people approve of us, what about that? What what if what if the congregation there said, Oh, we love Paul. We love Paul. You're doing a great job, Paul. Uh, you've, you've got it. You know, just keep on keeping on. You know, you're, you're doing awesome. Is that good enough? Does that mean God's approval? No. No, it doesn't. Because we don't answer to men, do we? We don't answer to people. So their approval is meaningless. Whether they approve or they criticize Doesn't really mean anything because we answer to God. Paul is saying, you just, we just answer to God. The Corinthians were God's servants as well. They were serving God. They weren't there to serve the apostles. You know, God, only God knows the circumstances that we live in. Only God knows the innermost workings of our heart and our mind. People can never know that. They can never know what's going on in your heart. I can never know what's going on in your mind. And even if I did, it wouldn't matter, would it? Because you don't answer to me. You answer to God. So, if those leaders were in the same position that Paul was, um, if our leaders today were in the same position that Paul was, I think we'd uh, be better people. We'd be a better church. If If we could... Aspire to, to fall. You know, later on in the chapter, Paul says, imitate me. He says, imitate me. You know, we, we think that that's kind of a bad thing, a copycat, right? Um, but that's how we learn, isn't it? Is we imitate. If you're going to learn how to play a sport, what do you do? You watch somebody who knows how to play it and you imitate them. You do it like they did. Paul's saying, imitate me. Look at what, look at how I'm living. Look at, at, at what I'm doing and, and follow that. Imitate me, and you'll be better Christians. So the criticism or the praise of others, Paul says, we need to leave it behind. It's in the context of of, uh, what will come from God. What will come from God. Um, Verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, uh, that you may learn, in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For me, What makes you differ from another? What did you have that you did not receive? Paul saying, what did you bring when you came? When you became a Christian, what did you bring with you that's applicable to a Christian life? He said, nothing. Everything that you have came from God. You received it all from God. You did receive it. So, He says, Why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why are you puffed up and proud? Because when you came, you didn't have any qualities of a Christian. Everything that you've had was given to you. He said, You're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign, that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death for... For we have been made a spectacle in the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. You're weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we're dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we're both poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have now been made as the filth of the world, the off scouring of all things until now. First Corinthians six through thirteen. In verse seven is one of the greatest statements of grace in the Bible, possibly. Romans is full of them, but uh what do you have that you did not receive? That's God's grace, isn't it? That He gives us. He gives us what we need. We don't come with it. We don't come with anything that we need. God in His gracious uh, 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 grace gives everything to us. Everything that we have. Everything that we have that will outlast this life has been given to us. It's because of God's grace. You know, pride is a very real danger and pride was a problem in this church. Um, This attitude of entitlement is a very real danger because the reality is, we're not entitled to anything, are we? God doesn't have to give us anything. We don't. We don't deserve anything. It's God's grace that has given us that. So, if anyone had a right to be proud, I would say it would be Paul. You know, he could point to his ministry. He could point to everything he'd been through, um, the sufferings that he had, being shipwrecked and nearly drowned, being beaten all of those things if anyone had a right to pride it would have been paul but you know pride is divisive pride is divisive to god's people pride is deadly to an individual pride's 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 not good pride's dangerous pride breaks down pride uh, pride uh, destroys on the other hand humility for humble it has a way of drawing people together you know, it's easy for people to be filled with a, a, a sense of self-importance, especially if they feel like there are some critical cog in the wheel. And those people are able to create a crisis out of anything. They are divisive. They, they can destroy a church. Um, some people just have the gift of criticism, don't they? It's not one of the gifts I read about in the Bible, but it seems like they have it. So, I, I, I don't know, you know. On the other hand, people filled with humility, what kind of people are they? You love to be around them, don't you? They, they, they bring people together. They bring peace. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be filled with humility. You know, Jesus said, how, how will we know other Christians? How will we know each other? We'll know each other by the love they have one for another. If you have love for somebody how can you be backbiting and critical of everything? How, how can you do that? You know, and I've heard people do that. I've heard people say something that, that's biting, and then they'll tag it with in love. That wasn't in love. What you just said was not in love. That was hateful. That was hateful and mean. And just because you tag in love on the end, doesn't make it in love, does it? That's criticism. That's not humility. You know, people can come to us and they can, they can give us suggestions. They can, they can be helpful. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that biting criticism, that criticism over every little thing that, uh, that love would overlook, right? When we love each other, don't we overlook a lot? You know, my wife, my wife loves me. How do I know that? Because she's put up with me for 25 years. So she has to love me. She overlooks a lot. She overlooks all kinds of things. I don't even know what they are sometimes. Love overlooks. Love draws near. Love makes strong. You know, those verses that I just read are one of the most sarcastic statements in all of Paul's writing. If you read that, and you kind of have a little difficulty following what he's saying. It might be because of that. If you recognize it as sarcasm, because that's what Paul is doing. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he used an, an analogy of a victorious Roman army. And uh, he used that analogy, the victorious Roman army, to illustrate Christ's victory over the forces of evil. So he's already used that in one place. But in these passages, he uses that same illustration of that victorious Roman army, but it has a different application here. He pictures the Corinthian Christians being like the arrogant, victorious Roman generals who are coming in, being victorious, and dragging along behind, you know, like the spoils of war, are the apostles. Wow! That's pretty heavy. And this is what he's saying. he's saying. He's saying, Corinthians, you're like this. You're you're like you're like victorious, proud Roman generals, and you're dragging the ministers along along behind you. So he's contrasting the Corinthians' pride and their arrogance with the way he has functioned as a minister and the way he has. Uh, led his life and and had his relationship with them. He calls them out. He calls out the Corinthians because they've forgotten the sacrifices that the apostles made for them. They've forgotten all about that. They think that they're just, they have it. They think that they have it of themselves. They've forgotten that they were given everything. So that's indicative of the, the Corinthians' spiritual immaturity. They think they're mature spiritually, but they're not. They're not mature Instead of examining themselves and recognizing what they lacked, they get prideful. You get all puffed up. They get proud. They forget about sacrifices that they've made. And then in verses 9-13, through Paul lists some of the difficulties that the apostles faced as they were bringing the gospel. He said that they were men condemned to death, in verse 9. That they endured ridicule. They were a spectacle uh, to the world, in verse 9. That they faced contempt and became fools for Christ's sake, in verse 10. They endured physical comfort, hunger, and thirst. He said, we were poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, in verse 11. And then throughout all of that, Paul says, I provided everything that I needed with my own hands. I worked. He's saying, you didn't give me anything. I worked. And I I endured all of these things to bring the gospel to you, and you've forgotten about it. You forgot about us. You didn't give. You didn't. You, d- you didn't give uh, respect where respect was due. And in verse fourteen, he says, "I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers." Paul saw himself as the spiritual father of the Corinthians. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and my faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. Now, some are puffed up and as though I'm not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come? What do you want? Get this? Shall I come to you with a rod in love or a spirit of gentleness? Shall I treat you like a child who needs correction or shall I come with a spirit of gentleness? So Paul ends there by making an admonition for unity. He said, be unified. Be unified in your relationship with the apostles, with your ministers. And he reminds them that he's, he's their spiritual father, and then he ends with that warning. And he gives them a fatherly admonition for the church and a rebuke for the few troublemakers. He asks, how should I come? Should I come with something to give people a beating with? Or shall I just come with love? So he's giving them a warning that there's consequences for our behavior. You know, uh, there are consequences for our behavior. God, God gives us consequences all the time, doesn't he? Paul might have been trying to kind of lighten the mood of the sarcasm and the irony in the previous uh, paragraph. Uh, He'd been scolding those who caused trouble, and he wanted to end his letter on a lighter note, reminding them that he loves them. He's their spiritual father, and he loves them. Paul differentiated himself from people who had played other roles. You know, he calls them my beloved children, and so you can see that attitude of love there. And in Ephesians, he's instructed fathers not to be too harsh on their uh, children so as to provoke wrath, and that's what he's doing here. You know, he did give them an admonition. He did give a pretty harsh, pretty harsh uh, correction, but he's reminding them that he loves them, and he doesn't want to be too harsh on them. So, you know, uh, they, sometimes we need correction, don't we? We do need correction. You know, the word instructor is translated in different ways in, in the Bible. Sometimes the base word is translated tutor, and other times it's translated guide. Um, very often it was describing a slave who was responsible for taking a child of about six years old and raising that child to manhood. That's, that's, the, that's the word that's used, is somebody who would raise a child through childhood to manhood, and they have the responsibility of raising that child up to be a good, productive adult. That's that's what they, that slave would have been older, would have been very trusted, like a like a steward. Um, <clears throat> he would have delivered the children to school every day and guided them, made sure they did their work and everything. Um, and Paul says, "You might have ten thousand instructors." That's an exaggeration, of course. They wouldn't have ten thousand instructors, but they might have a lot. But then he says, you'll only have one father. You'll only have one father. I'm your father, your spiritual father. So he's pointing that out to them, that that he is a special individual to them and that he loves them in a way that no one else would love them. And he cares for them in a way that no one else will care for them. And, uh, and he wants to uh, emphasize that. So uh we do have communion this morning. I have to admit I cannot see the clock back here and I don't have my phone. I have no idea what time it is. So um if you guys uh if you guys who are going to serve communion would go ahead and come on up and I see Wade is making his way back here. I may be way ahead of time. I really don't know. Um but my yeah. My wife always says, why do you always talk about your family when you're up there? Well, it's because I talk to my family a lot and they tell me, you know, you're taking too long. (laughs) So, all right. So um, I'm going to wait for Wade to come up here so he he can be here before we pray.